0: Good morning everybody. Welcome to Resurrection City Church. So glad that you're here worshiping with us this morning. Uh, Whether this is your first time here or if you're new or just checking us out, we're just so glad to have you. Uh, My name is Julie and I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, And if you are new or if you're just checking us out, we have been in a series that we're calling He Refreshes My Soul. And At this kind of current moment that we're all in, kind of with the last couple of years we've had, uh, whether it's because of the pandemic or because of all of the other things going on in the world, as if a pandemic wasn't enough, uh, we've just noticed a lot of people have been feeling kind of just exhausted, right? It's been an exhausting couple of years. uh, And there's been sort of this like, what do I do with this? How do I move forward? How do I feel refreshed and how do I connect with God in the middle of that. And so that's what we've been talking about. We've been looking at Psalm 23 as kind of our starting point through all of that, uh, and we're going to continue to do that today. So I'm going to pray for us, and we will jump in. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the Good Shepherd, and that we can hear your voice, and we can choose to follow you, and that we know that when we do, you will lead us to refreshment, to Uh, green pastures and still waters, and that you will care for us and take care of us uh, in all of the ways that we need. So Lord, we just praise you this morning for that, Uh, and we praise you for this entering uh, of Holy Week, this time where we get to see so very, very clearly how much you love us and how much you're willing uh, to care for us, even to the point of dying for us and rising again. So we praise you for that as we enter into this Holy Week. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so it is hard for me to believe that it has been about two years since the pandemic first started. I don't know about you, but for me, COVID has felt like one giant time warp. Like I can't keep track of where things last year or two years ago, it's all been kind of a blur. But when I do look back and I think about that first year, one of the things I remember is how many people kept saying, and I felt this a little bit myself too, how much they, you know, as much as it was challenging and scary and like difficult to deal with all the things happening, there was a simplicity to life that people really enjoyed. There were a lot fewer plans. Um, You weren't running out, you know, going to the store, going out to eat, going to all these different places. Life just sort of settled into a, a very simple way of living. And a lot of people, once we sort of started transitioning out of that and were able to go out and do more things, which is great, a lot of people have expressed like, I'm really excited to be able to be out and about, but there is a part of me that misses that simplicity. And so simplicity is actually what we're going to be talking about today. Um, And it might not be exactly how we think about it from the pandemic, uh, but it is a concept that I think there's a part of us that longs for it. And I think we experienced that over the last couple of years. So I want to talk about simplicity from the lens of a spiritual practice. And so let's start with what it's not, because I think there are a lot of things that come to our mind maybe when we think of simplicity. I even Googled it and I was surprised, just Googled the word simplicity to see like what would come up. I was surprised at how many like brands and different things market themselves with the name simplicity. There were like everything from tractors and farming equipment, which really (laughs) surprised me, to like sewing patterns. It was like all over the place. So clearly this is something that, you know, marketing must know. This is something we're looking for. Um, But I think the things that kind of come to our mind now, at least from my experience, is the idea of like minimalism, which is actually first thought of as an art style. So if you're, uh, um, my father-in-law is an art teacher, so he would be upset if I didn't first mention that this is first an art movement, uh, but now some people think of it sort of as like a lifestyle trend or like a, a, a way to live where you just try to live with the least amount of stuff possible. Or you might think of it as sort of like an organization strategy, right? Uh, and that's not what we're talking about. I have no problem with Marie Kondo. If she sparks joy for you, that's wonderful. Um, And if organization sparks joy for you and you want to come help me organize my closets, then I'm all for that. Um, But that's not what we're talking about when we talk about it as a spiritual practice. So as a spiritual practice, simplicity is about focusing our priorities on God so that we can walk with the Good Shepherd, as we've been talking about in this series, and experience the wholeness that he offers. So simplicity has both of an internal reality, where in your internal world, you are prioritizing God and his kingdom, but it also has an external reality, because if your internal world is prioritized around something, then your external world or your life is going to reflect that. And so when you're prioritizing God and his kingdom, then your time, your possessions, how you choose to live your life will reflect that, it will sort of flow out from that internal world. And this morning, I wanna start by talking about the external world, which seems probably counterintuitive because I just told you that it starts with the internal and it flows out to the external. But I think the external are the things that we pay more attention to and maybe might be more um, inclined to be like, hey, if that's what it could look like, maybe I'd be willing to do the work of the internal world, right? We wanna hear what the result might be before we're maybe willing to kind of check in with ourselves about the internal part. So we're gonna start with the external world. Um, And one of the reasons I think that the external world shows us that simplicity is worth embracing is because it helps us embrace our limits. Simplicity helps us embrace our limits. So, I don't know how many years ago this started, uh, but maybe since like the word, the phrase "YOLO," you know, you only live once. Uh, but I've noticed then there's been much more of an emphasis, maybe moving away from like materialism or material things, and focusing a lot more on experiences. So there's like this phrase um, you probably heard it. I googled it, and like a million Pinterest or like Instagram graphics popped up. This idea of collect moments, not things, or collect experiences or memories, not physical things. It's super popular. Uh, I think especially among younger people, it's something that people have really embraced. Uh, And it puts a real emphasis on things like travel and going out and seeing the world and and having all these memories there. Uh, Maybe it means like eating at trendy restaurants, having the best food experiences, um, or maybe going to concerts or movies um, or other events. Things that you, you know, when you buy, you don't actually have a physical thing, but you have some kind of experience that you get to take with you. Maybe you have pictures um, that you can post on social media, but it's sort of this, like, collecting memories or experiences that you've had. And none of this is bad, okay? I like all of the things I just listed. I like travel and food and concerts and all of those things. But one of the challenges, I think, of this buy experiences, not things um, or also called behavioral economics, if you want to get technical, is that it puts a lot of pressure on us to do all of the things, right? Take all the trips you can, see all the things that you can, climb all the ladders at work that you can, have the best experiences in your life now because you only have this one chance. And again, going back to thinking about how you felt when the pandemic first started, I want you to try to think, put yourself back in that space if you can. There were people, we were really disappointed at first, right, that a lot of things got canceled. Maybe a trip got canceled, or maybe there was some concert, or or maybe even a family gathering that you were really looking forward to that got canceled. It was really disappointing. And at the same time, I think we also felt a little bit of relief because as we've talked about in previous, Sermons of the series, we've been way overscheduled and way busier than we can probably handle. And so part of it is that part of our busyness, part of our uh, maybe feeling some of relief over things getting canceled, I think is because we have all this pressure to go out and have all of these experiences. And this practice of simplicity can help us because it helps us embrace our limits. Because the truth is, we can't do all the things. Because we can't be everywhere all the time. We are finite beings. We need sleep. We have limited amounts of time. And we are not omnipresent like God. We can't be everywhere at once. Joel talked about this a few weeks ago when he talked about technology, actually, and how technology gives us this um, false illusion that we can be omnipresent. We can be everywhere at once. Because we can talk to people from all over the world. And we can you know, watch things that are happening in other places. But ultimately, that just leaves us more distracted and less present in our current moment. And I think having all of this pressure to have all the amazing experiences in our life can make us feel this way, too. And maybe that looks like, you know, you're, you're constantly trying to think about what's your next travel plans, but because of that, you're often missing things that are here at home. And maybe you don't feel as connected to your community or to your uh the people who are around you, your neighborhood, or different things, because you're always gone. Or maybe if you're a parent, there's this pressure to be everywhere and to be everything all at once, right? You, if you're if you're working and a, being a parent, you have to be the best possible version of yourself at work so you can get that promotion and keep up with all of your coworkers. And yet, you also have to be the best parent possible, and you have to be with your kid every single waking moment that you're not at work, and also plan the best Pinterest perfect birthday parties, and make the healthiest meals, and you know, like the pressure just goes on and on. And it doesn't matter what stage of life you're in, right? If you're a college student, maybe you feel pressure to keep up with your academics, uh, and to keep up with athletics or other activities, and at the same time, to never miss a moment with your friends, because what if it's like the best, funniest thing that ever happens? So truly, no matter where you are, I can bet that you might feel some of this pressure. But the truth is we can't do all the things at once. I just want to relieve you of that pressure. We can't be in more than one place at one time. We don't have endless time to create all of the perfect experiences. We are finite, limited people. And limits, although often thought of as a negative thing, right? Who wants to be limited? It's not like something we strive for usually. It's actually something that's really helpful for us. And we see examples of accepting and embracing our limits in Scripture from Jesus himself and then also from John the Baptist. Uh, In his book, Emotionally Healthy Discipleship, Pete Scazzaro gives examples of some of the limits that Jesus accepted in his life and ministry. He says, he did not heal every sick and demon-possessed person. He did not build a large ministry in Capernaum, even though they begged him to remain in that city. He prayed all night and chose only 12 to be closest to him although others were uh, probably disappointed. Jesus did not go in person to meet the needs of everywhere in Europe, Africa, Asia, or the Americas. And yet at the end of his life, he prayed, I have finished the work you have given me to do. So Jesus, even though he's God and probably could have done more, he accepted the limits that come with being human. He slept. He took naps, right? That's a great thing to see. He did not please everybody, and he did not focus on only growing his ministry and becoming a really big deal. And yet, at the end of his life, God was pleased with him. He was able to rest in that fact that he completed the work that God had given him specifically to do, no more and no less. And that was a good thing. We see this also in John the Baptist ministry, who was, uh, came right before Jesus, was a friend of Jesus's. And John was out, he was out baptizing people, telling them the Messiah was coming. He was really starting to gain a following, right? Like he was going viral, if you want, uh, until Jesus showed up. And so in John 3, uh, John's disciples, the people who are following him, come to him and say, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, referring to Jesus, look, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. Like what the heck? What are we gonna do about this guy who's stealing all of your followers? And how are we gonna how are we gonna deal with this? And John replies, "A person can receive only what is given them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said I am not the Messiah, but am sent ahead of Him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him, and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine, and it is now complete. He must become greater." and I must become less. So even though it was probably challenging for John to see that his ministries kind of stall out, he knew that it was better for him to follow Jesus and for the people around him to follow Jesus. He knew that it was he was there to point to Jesus. So he accepted the limits of his humanity, of his work, of his time, and he pointed to Jesus instead of himself. He knew that what was more important was Jesus and not his own goals or experiences or things that he might look for. He knew that we all have limits <laughs> and that this is a good thing. And we experience this too with everything we say yes to, whether it's another trip or another activity, we're, we know we're saying no to something else, right? It's kind of a cliche thing, people say it all the time when they talk about boundaries and about different things, but the honest truth is that we can't do all the things at once. So if we say yes to something, we have to say no to something else. And if we're being honest, usually the first things that get squeezed when our calendar starts to get full is the things we've been talking about of walking with the Good Shepherd, our time with God, or our time with God's people, or our time serving in God's kingdom and sharing the good news of Jesus. So practicing simplicity can help us embrace our limits because it helps us focus uh, our time on what matters most, and it helps us surrender the rest to God. Okay, so talking about this idea of, right, everybody wants to experience things and not, or experience experiences, collect experiences, um, and not things, but we couldn't really talk about simplicity if we didn't address materialism and the desire for actual things as well. So I want to talk about that with our second point. Uh, And the second reason I think simplicity is worth practicing is because it helps us embrace contentment. It helps us embrace contentment. So like I said, there's still pressure for us to have material things, even though we might say like, oh no, I'm not about that, because we still live in this world. uh, And that's essentially what all marketing is based on, right, is trying to convince you to buy something, uh, a product that they're selling. And I know some of you work in marketing, and I want to say it's not inherently bad. I don't think marketing is a bad thing, but it's something that we do in the same way that technology isn't inherently bad, as we talked about a few weeks ago. Uh, it's something we need to be wise about. It's something we need to consider and and be aware of as we live in this world and try to walk with the good shepherd. Because it can be easy to see all of the things that the world tells us that we need, uh, and become discontent with what we already have. Even if you somehow manage to avoid ads, say you're not on social media um, or on the internet ever. I don't know. I mean, somehow if you manage to avoid it. This can easily happen just by being around other people. right? I'm sure you've experienced times where you've been around someone and maybe they're talking about all these great trips that they're going on or that they're planning and then you leave and you're like, I gotta plan a trip, right? Like I gotta go somewhere. Or maybe you're around someone who's always renovating their house and always has some cool project and you get back and you look at your house and you're like, we need to do this, we need to fix that, You know, we need to tear down that wall, let's just start over, let's do something else. Whatever it is, maybe you're around people who have super trendy clothes or a new car, or whatever it is, it's easy for us to suddenly feel like, I want that too, or, or maybe I need that too. And if you experience that, you're definitely not alone. I have experienced that. Uh, and envy and jealousy have been around forever, right? goes all the way back to the Ten Commandments. One of the commandments, uh, this is the message version of Exodus 20:17 says, no lusting after your neighbor's house, or wife, or servant, or maid, or ox, or donkey. Don't set your heart on anything that is your neighbor's. So don't wish for your neighbor's house, or their spouse, or their job, or their car, whatever it is, still super applicable to us today. And you might think, I'm not jealous, right? Jealous seems like a really strong word. That's not really something I experience. But I think envy is sneaky. It can be really subtle. It can often just feel maybe like discontentment, right? Like, you know, you, you leave a conversation with someone and you're like, why do I feel just kind of off or just discontent with my life? Or maybe it shows up as annoyance, right? You're just really annoyed that your friend keeps talking about that thing. And, and really it's because you might have some feeling of envy at the bottom of it. And as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about how jealousy is often referred to as the green-eyed monster. Have you heard that phrase before? And while I was preparing the sermon, I went down a little bit of a rabbit hole trying to look up like, where does that come from? Or like, why is that, why is that what we call it? Um, partly because I was curious uh, and I'm prone to looking up things like that. Uh, and partly because it's really easy to procrastinate when you're trying to write a sermon. Uh, And so it actually comes from Shakespeare, and you guys know that I love Shakespeare, as an English major in college. Uh, And one of the reasons I love Shakespeare so much is because if you can cut through all of the language that feels very antiquated to us now, the themes that the plays pick up on and kind of highlight are really relatable through all time periods. They're universal struggles that we all feel. And the idea of this green eyed monster comes from the play Othello. Has anybody else read Othello before or seen it? Um, I had to read it in school. But it's, I'll give you a spoiler, it's not a happy ending, it's a tragedy. It's one of those ones where pretty much everyone dies in the end. Uh, But the story goes a little bit like this. There's this guy Othello, and he's like a general in the army or something like that. And he promotes a guy in his, I don't know the language for armies. He promotes one of the guys who works for him. And one of the other guys who's named Iago, which I'm pretty sure is where Aladdin got that name from. Um, you'll see why in just a second. But this other guy, Iago, gets really jealous that Othello promoted someone else and not him. He thought he deserved it, and he didn't get it. So he schemes up this plan. He's like, how can I take them both down? Because I'm just so mad. So he comes up with a plan to try to convince Othello that this other guy uh, is cheating with Othello's wife. So the way he does it is he gets in a cell's head. He kind of comes up to him and starts talking in his ear and is like, "Hmm, have you noticed how much your wife likes to spend time with that guy or hey, have you noticed how much she brings him up in conversation? That's weird." Just subtly over time starts planting all of these seeds in his head. Sort of like that I like this picture because it's like a snake, right? Slithering up inside your brain whispering all these things to you. And what Othello doesn't realize, and that you as an audience member see, is that Iago is like orchestrating this whole thing. He keeps creating opportunities for Othello's wife and this other guy to be close together, and then highlights them to Othello. But that's how jealousy works, right? It crawls into the back of your mind and it stays there, giving you subtle suggestions that maybe you deserve what that other person has, or maybe your life won't be complete until you have this thing. Can't you see how happy that person is? Don't you want that? Don't you need it? And here's the kicker in Othello and in real life. None of those things are true. Othello's wife isn't really cheating on him. He's being manipulated to think that. And when we believe the lies that we are entitled to the things that other people have, or if we believe the lie that if I could just have blank, then my life would be easier, or I would be happier, or if things would be better. When we believe these things, we're being manipulated. That voice in our ear that's telling us those things, it's a liar. And you want to know how I know that? Because Psalm 23 tells us. Right away in the very first verse, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. Nothing. Not just, I'm satisfied, or I have what I need to get by. I lack nothing. And I'll be honest with you, as much as I believe this to be true, I wouldn't be telling it to you up here if I didn't believe it. This is a daily battle for me in my life. Because I can think of a lot of things that I would say I lack, right? I've mentioned before I struggle with chronic illness. My body literally lacks the ability to make collagen in the correct way, right? That's what the genetic part of my disease comes from. There are plenty of other things that I feel like I lack too, right? Like Joel and I's family, some of you know we are in the process of um, being foster parents. And this isn't exactly how I pictured that our life would look like at this point in in time. There are a lot of things that I could say, I feel like I lack this on a daily basis. And I'm guessing that you do too. I've talked with many of you. I know that there are things that feel, whether they're small things like, man, it just feels like my house isn't the way I want it, or or they're big things, right? I feel like I don't have community, I don't have friendship, or I don't you know, have any of these things that I really feel like I need or I lack in my life. And I know that some of these things might be more trivial than others, but they're real things that we experience and that we have to think about in our heads every single day. And it's okay to desire these things, right? It's not bad to want different things in our life, but these things are not gonna be things that ultimately lead to contentment, no matter how small they are or how big they are. These are not things that will ultimately satisfy us. I can guarantee you that if you got everything that you feel like you lack, if you sat down and made a list, here are all the things I feel like I lack in my life, and you got them all tomorrow, you would not feel satisfied there would be other things that would be like, huh, now that I have this, I think I could also really use this. Or now that this is the case, maybe I also need to add this into my life. And I'm encouraged and I'm challenged by the words of the Apostle Paul because he knew this too. In Philippians 4 11 through 13, he says, I have learned to be content with whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. And you guys, Paul wrote this letter while he was in prison. <laughs> so if you want to talk about living in a life where you feel like you're lacking something or things that you don't have that you might need. Paul knew that very well. He experienced persecution, He has a whole list, I mean, you can read in his other letters, he details, here are all the things that have happened to me that have been really hard and super challenging in my life. But because he is focused on the one who gives him strength, he's focused on Jesus, his mission, his priorities, his internal world is focused on on Jesus and what he's done for him. He can say that he lacks nothing, that he knows the secret to being content in every situation that he might find himself in. And he's learned because he's experienced that contentment from possessions or from experiences or from relationships, whatever it is, he's learned that those things are fragile. They can shift, they can change under our feet and leave us feeling discontent in a moment. That new car becomes a used car the minute you drive it off of the lot right? The trip that you go on, that post-vacation high, it only lasts until you have to go back to work. Whatever it is that you feel drawn to, whatever it is that you think, if only I had this, whether it's a spouse or a new house or whatever it is, if only I had that, then I'd feel complete. It's not going to last. The only thing that can last is so- focusing and centering our priorities on Christ. And this is the, the last reason I think it's worth Uh, embracing simplicity, that simplicity reminds us that everything we need is already available to us in Christ. So Easter is next week, as I mentioned earlier, and if we truly believe that Jesus lived, died, and rose again, then we believe that through those events, he's made a way for us to have restored relationship with God. And in Christ, we have everything we need, We have an identity that's rooted in Christ rather than in any kind of accomplishment we have, no matter what kind of job or success we might have. We know our identity is rooted in Christ. We know we're not defined by the stuff that we own or the experiences that we have. We know that when God looks at us, he sees Jesus, and we are loved and accepted no matter what we have or haven't done or no matter what we own or don't own. And not only that, but in Christ, we have a purpose, a purpose that's much more fulfilling than anything else, much more fulfilling than chasing the next high or chasing the next material thing. It's something that is bigger than anything you can collect because it's literally what we were created to do. We have a purpose in that we are meant to be Christ's image bearers in the world. That's how we were created. It's what's in our DNA. It's how we're going to feel most fulfilled in our life. And it's a fulfillment that will actually last. We become like John when we say, "I must decrease so that Jesus can increase." When following Jesus comes first in our life, uh, it helps all of these other things, all of this other noise, all of the you know the whispers of jealousy or envy that might be in our heads, fade away to background noise. And Jesus Himself talks about this in a message He gave during His ministry. You might be familiar with it. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And I'm going to read uh, a section here. And I'm not going to read the entire thing because that would be very long. Um, But I'm going to read some of the parts that all kind of flow together in this one section. And what I want you to do is I want you to think about the picture that Jesus is painting in this. Because the Sermon on the Mount is so great. We're actually going to study it in the fall, which I'm really excited about. Um, But Sometimes what happens is verses that are really memorable can get kind of like plucked out and we just really focus on those, which is super helpful too. Uh, But I think in this case, I want you to listen to the big picture that Jesus is painting. How do all the different pieces that he's highlighting fit together? uh, And as we're talking about this idea of simplicity. So I'm going to start here. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal but store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And then just two verses later, he says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Then, right next to this, this is the very next verse, he says, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. What you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear, is not life more than food and the body more than clothes. And then he talks about how God provides those things for us. God provides um, in the same way that he provides for the birds and the grass and the flowers. He provides our basic needs as well. And so then he says, so do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be given to you as well. So when you hear that in context, when you hear all of those verses stacked back to back, you get to see this bigger picture of what Jesus is telling us. He's not just, this isn't just a passage on anxiety and telling you not to worry. It's not not that, right? It is also communicating about that. But when you look at it in context, he's talking about priorities. He's talking about where we set our heart and where we set our mind and therefore then how we live our lives. He says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. And again, as I said, I didn't read the part where God talks about meeting our physical needs because those are important and I don't want to de-emphasize that. But I also want to say that God's not, Jesus isn't saying in this passage that if you just seek his kingdom, then all the things you ever wanted will be given to you, right? This is not that whole, like, what's my list of things I feel like I lack? Okay, if I just set my priorities right, then God will give me all the things I want. That's not what he's saying. But he is saying that if you seek God's kingdom first, your list of things that you feel like you lack or the things that you desire is probably going to change, It's probably going to come more in line with what God's desires are, what his kingdom is, and all of those things will be provided for you. He's saying when you follow the good shepherd, you lack nothing because you already have everything you need available to you in him. Right? It's about priorities. Where are you storing your treasure? Which master are you serving? What are you running after? The ways of the world or the ways of Jesus? Jesus and his kingdom of love and of justice and peace and mercy becomes more important to you than all other things when you are starting to follow him and running after his desires instead of your own. Because here's the truth, when you let the world be your shepherd, you're always going to feel like you lack something. The world will tell you that. Advertising will tell you that. Being around other people will tell you that. You're always going to feel like you don't have enough. You're not enough. You're not doing enough things. All of those things, are gonna. you're going to always feel that when you're following the world as your shepherd. But when God is your shepherd, you lack nothing. Everything you need is provided for in him, and he will always be there, just like the shepherd caring for the sheep in Psalm 23. All right, one last question about simplicity, because I think this is what comes up next, right? So does this mean, then, should I sell everything I have and give it all to the poor? How do I do this? What, what does this look like? And I don't know, maybe, Jesus does call some people to do that. If you read scripture, there are moments where Jesus talks very uh, strongly about money and what, how we should think about it and how we should use it. And I don't have time to get into all of those passages this morning, but uh, we're gonna have some of those in your community group material. So We're gonna have more of a discussion about what that looks like uh, if you're in a community group this week. And if you're not in a community group and you wanna get connected, um, you can fill out a connection card uh, or go online. We'd love to get you connected to one of those. Uh, but here's the thing. It doesn't mean, practicing simplicity doesn't mean you have to go so far as to punish yourself, right, by depriving yourself of anything good. I think that's some of us who are really black and white thinkers. That might be where you end up. You might be like, okay, if I have to live simply, then I just have to like, you know, cut off everything and I can't ever do anything I want and I can't think about anything good. But that's not who God is, right? God is a creative God. He made all of creation. He loves beauty, right? He created this world and there's so many beautiful things in it. And he's given all of us different interests and passions and desires and gifts. And so if there are certain things that you feel like, man, the beauty of this is just really moving to me, right? Maybe, you, maybe you're really like moved by fashion and putting together a good outfit is like, yes. It's just, you know, it's part of your creative nature coming out. Or maybe it's, uh, you know, renovating houses, right? Maybe you have a vision for that and you're really good at it. And so being able to do those things is a way that you are able to express the creative gifts that God has given you and to create beauty in the world. That's good. I want you to keep doing those things. But at the same time, there should be limits, right? I talked before about simplicity helping us embrace our limits. So maybe before you jump into something like that or before you make another purchase or plan another trip or um, you know, do whatever it is that you're drawn to doing, ask yourself, why am I doing this? What are my priorities right now? Is there some element of me trying to keep up with people around me um, or to you know show off this exciting thing to other people? Is there some element of envy driving this of discontentment? Do you feel like, oh, if I could just get this thing once I get this thing, then I'll then I'll feel better because I can't guarantee you you won't. It won't fix whatever it is that you're trying to trying to fix inside of you and this is a tough topic because I think again, like I said, people would like for me to just tell you, this is exactly what it looks like for you to live and practice simplicity. And I honestly just don't feel comfortable doing that because I think, again, God has made each one of us different. He's put us in different contexts. And so I'm not, I'm not comfortable saying this is exactly what it looks like for every single person at all times. But I do think that everyone is called to seek the kingdom of God first. So asking yourself, what does it look like for me to practice that in my life? Maybe it means doing an audit of your schedule, right? Looking at where you spend your time and you know, looking at what is my calendar telling me is my biggest priority? And is that the priority that I want it to show? Is that really what I want my internal priorities to be? Or maybe it looks like looking at your budget and doing an audit of your finances. And maybe it means making a change to that so you can be reminded that you already have everything you need in Jesus and that you can help serve in God's kingdom by using your resources to further his mission. Or maybe it just means taking some time to employ some of these other practices we've been talking about in this series as you pray about what it looks like for you. Right? Spend some time in silence. Memorize that first verse of Psalm 23, right? That's super easy to memorize. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. I've found it to be super helpful when I'm wrestling with feeling discontent about something to just repeat that to myself, over and over until it sort of starts to sink in and is something that I can truly believe with all of my being. Maybe it means spending some time, uh, you know, really praying to God through all of those levels of communication that we talked about—praying your deepest desires, praying your deepest um, emotions to Him. Whatever it is for you, I want to invite you to spend some time thinking about what it looks like. To, for you to practice simplicity in this season of life that you're in, in your current state, wherever you are, what does it look like for you to think about simplicity in your life? And again, simplicity meaning our priorities being centered around Jesus and his work in his kingdom. So we're going to head into a time of worship, um, and I want you to take some time to do that. And we're going to take communion while we worship, and so this is a great time to really think about what Jesus has done for us, um, and how that plays out in how we think about our own lives. Right? The, fact, the reason we can center our lives and our priorities around him is because he has shown that he cares about us and this world so much that he's willing to die and rise again to see newness come, both in us and our individuals and also in the whole world. So I invite you to take this time uh, to remember that you have everything you need in him because of what he's done for us. As we take communion and as we worship through song, so I'm going to pray for us, and then we will head into that time. Heavenly Father, uh, we just thank you again that you are a good shepherd and that you have provided for us in every way that we need. And Lord, I know that it sometimes feels like that's not true, and so I pray that this morning you would meet each person where they're at, whatever it is that they feel like they might be lacking. Um, no matter how serious it is, Lord, I just pray that you would give them comfort, that you would remind them of all of the gifts that you've given them through your life, death, death and resurrection. Remind them of their identity, of their belonging to this community and to the people of God, and remind them of their purpose, that they are not uh, defined by their lack, but they are defined by you and what you've done for us. So, Lord, I just pray that you would be with us And that your Holy Spirit would be working in each and one of us this morning. Amen.